there is a word that is being used often today in our society. You may have heard it on the news or in conversations of other people. The word is oppression. This is a word defined by Merriam-Webster Dictionary as an unjust or cruel exercise of power. Oppression is certainly a major theme in the book of Exodus. For God's people in the book of Exodus are experience, experiencing oppression, an unjust or cruel exercise of power by the state, Egypt, and its leader, Pharaoh. With that in mind, I can't recall a time in my life when such a scenario could actually play itself out here in America. That Americans and God's people in America could find themselves in a position where we are facing the unjust exercise of power by the state is a very real one. I would have never thought that 25, 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. How should the church respond if this were to happen? Some would even argue that it's already beginning to happen. So how should the church respond? How should the church respond if this were to happen in light of the great commission of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you? The church, based on the commission of Jesus, is called to deliver God's people, God's people from oppression, and then to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, Jesus says, to educate people in the ways of Jesus Christ, to mature them in the faith so they know how to live in light of God's values and beliefs. We're called to a mission, and so was Moses. Moses' call was to go to Egypt and to deliver, deliver God's people from oppression. But how? What would Moses need in order to be successful and faithful in delivering God's people from oppression? What Moses would need in order to be successful and faithful in delivering God's people from oppression is, is true of the church and of its leaders. So, how does one faithfully carry out or successfully carry out God's call to deliver his people from oppression. First of all, one must be properly equipped with the authority, protection, and the power of God. Verses 19 to 20. Remember, Moses had just had this mountaintop experience when God descended onto Mount Sinai and revealed himself to Moses and gave him orders to go back to Egypt. So this is what Moses does. In verses 19 and 20. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. What's the significance of taking the rod of God in his hand? That's very important. Why is it important? In ancient Palestinian Israelite society, one staff was an essential personal possession, 
a means of protection and identification, and even a symbol of one's power. From the point of view of identifying oneself, a staff was in certain ways the equivalent in ancient culture of what a passport, wallet, or a driver's license would be today. From the point of view of protection, it was the ancient equivalent of what a sidearm would be today. And from the point of view of its function as a symbol of one's personal power, a modern analogy might be one's photo ID pass or even in some situations, one's parking pass. He had to take the rod or the staff of God with him if he's going to be successful and faithful in delivering the people of God from Egyptian oppression. That was the only way. Remember before, he tried to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt, but he failed. Why? Because he tried to do it in his own strength and in his own authority. He went out and saw the people and they were being abused by the Egyptians. And so what did he do? He couldn't control his emotions. He saw an injustice. And as a result of that, he killed the Egyptian. He was spiritually immature. And then the next day he goes out and he saw two Hebrews fighting and he said, why are you, he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you, why are you doing wrong? Why are you beating your brother? And the, the Hebrews said, well, are you going to do it to me? Who made you judge and jury over me? Are you going to do it to me what you did to the Hebrew? And the Hebrew wouldn't listen to Moses. He had no credibility because of what he did. And so he failed because he tried to do things his way. But now God is sending him back after God revealed himself on Mount Sinai. And now he's going to go back with the rod of God. God told him, when you go before Pharaoh and before the people, take the rod of God in your hand and throw it on the ground. And what's it going to do? It's going to turn into a serpent. Then I want you to grab it by the tail. And when you grab it by the tail, it's going to turn back into the rod again to show God's supernatural power, not only to the Israelites, but to the Egyptians. He is to take the rod of God and touch the Nile River and the river will become his blood. Then he's to take the rod, and it is the rod that Moses is going to use and the means by which God's going to work through that the, that the Red Sea will be divided and the people can walk through on dry land. The rod of God is symbolic of, of having divine authority, power, and protection. And without that, there is absolutely no way any one of us is going to be able to be, to be successful in delivering God's people from oppression. Secondly, in order to faithfully and successfully carry out God's call to deliver his people from oppression, one must be willing to courageously speak God's word, God's truth to those in positions of power. Verses 21 to 23. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve or worship me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. How would you want, would you like that job? God is telling Moses, this is what I want you to go do when you speak to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Israel is my firstborn. Israel was a, a new people that God was forming in the womb of Egypt and whom Pharaoh and the Egyptians were trying to abort. 
And God says, no, Israel as a nation is my firstborn son. And I want you to let them go. If you don't do so, then I will kill your firstborn son. It took courage for Moses to speak that way to Pharaoh. Speaking truth in God's word to power can be a very risky proposition. But if we're going to free people, God's people, from oppression, from a state or any other form of oppression, one must be able to speak truth to power and be willing to suffer the consequences. Just ask John the Baptist. He spoke truth to power. It is not right for you, Herod, to have your brother Philip's wife. He spoke truth to power. What happened? They tried to silence his voice, put him in prison so we don't have to hear him anymore. And they eventually lost his head. There was a price to pay. It didn't only affect John the Baptist, it affects other people as well. When God's leaders speak truth to, God, to, to power, it's not only going to affect the individual who's speaking, but it can affect the congregations in which the leader is preaching to. There's consequences. But God says you must be faithful. And notice the language that he tells Moses to use. I will kill your firstborn son. How do you think Pharaoh's going to respond to that? He's not going to like it. He's the most powerful person in the land. But that doesn't matter. Moses should have taken comfort in the fact earlier on, God told Moses, this will be the sign by which you will know that I will deliver my people. You and your people and my people will worship me on this mountain. So Pharaoh's not going to do anything to Moses. He should know that. But still, the risk is very real, and it's dangerous to do such a thing. But it is absolutely essential for the church of Jesus Christ and its leaders to speak truth to power when those in power are unjust, and Pharaoh was unjust. Who will you serve this day? The gods on the other side of the river? Or will we be like Joshua, I will serve the Lord no matter what he wants us to do and say? It's very real. And given the times in which we live, I can't think of another time when these passages are more relevant. Thirdly, in order to faithfully and successfully carry out God's call to deliver his people from oppression, one must obey the same godly orders and directives that God's people are called to obey, verses 24 to 26. And it came to pass on the way, at the encampment, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone or flinty knife and cut the foreskin of her son. She circumcised him and cast it or made it touch Moses's or the child's feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. So she let him go. So he let him go. And then she said, you are a husband of blood because of circumcision. This passage is probably one of the most difficult passages to interpret in the book of Exodus. Say, so what in the world is going on here? Scholars have argued who's being seized here. Is it Moses or Moses' son? The text doesn't say either way. Most tend to believe that Moses is the one being seized. But why? Why is Moses being seized as he's on his way to Egypt? I don't want to get into the details as to what the possible interpretations may be, the point is, regardless of the details of its interpretation, the point is, is about circumcision. 
That's the issue. And apparently, either Moses himself or his son, was not, or both, were not circumcised. And God had called Moses to deliver the circumcised people. But if Moses or his son was not circumcised, then he was being disobedient. And God took obedience very, very seriously, particularly when it comes to his people who are being called and are leaders. And he wasn't. So God was going to kill him, the text says. And then Ziphra, his wife, realized what was going on. She took the necessary steps in circumcising her son. And somehow God was okay with it. It satisfied God. Apparently Moses, on his way to deliver the people from their oppression, wasn't obedient himself. And it would have an impact on his ministry to those whom he was called to lead out of oppression. It just goes to show and tell us how important obedience really is. If we want to have an impact as a church, as God's leaders, we must be willing to obey the very dictates and directives and orders and instructions of God that the people are called to because when people see that you're not doing that, they will see inconsistency and it will affect our ability to minister and to serve and to lead people out of the oppression that they may be under. That's what's happening here. One must obey the same godly orders and directives that God's people are called to obey. Finally, faithfully carrying out God's call to deliver his people from oppression should lead God's people to worship God. Verses 27 to 31. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and they worshiped. This tells us that whenever God's people, whenever God's people are equipped with the authority and power of Almighty God, speak boldly and courageously God's truth to power, and one obeys, one can be successful in leading God's people to worship God even in the midst of oppression. That's exactly what's happening here. Being free from oppression does not necessarily mean you can't worship God. You worship God in the midst of it. And when God's people are do what Moses has done, that can become a reality. I'm reminded in Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 20, Jesus sent out the 70 elders, and the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We have power and authority because of the one who saved us from our sin, Jesus Christ. It's in his power and authority. 
We come in his name. We're obedient to him. And we have boldness and courage to speak truth to power because of him. And when he is guiding and leading you, you will be successful in leading God's people to worship at a time when they may be experiencing oppression, even in this nation. In his book, Good Morning, Mary Sunshine, Chicago Tribune columnist Bob Green chronicles his infant daughter's first year of life. When little Amanda began crawling, he records, This is something I'm having trouble getting used to. I will be in bed reading a book or watching TV, and I will look down at the foot of the bed, and there will be Amanda's head staring back at me. Apparently, I've become one of the objects that fascinates her. It's so strange. After months of having to go to her, now she's choosing to come to me. I don't know quite how to react. All I can figure is that she likes the idea of coming in and looking at me. She does not expect anything in return. I'll return her gaze, and in a few minutes, she'll decide that she wants to be back in the living room, and off she will crawl again. The simple pleasure of looking at the one you love is what we enjoy each time we worship God and bask in his presence. As a church, we have been charged with that responsibility of being faithful to God's call to free his people so that others may share in this experience of worship. And they will be more likely to do so if we are properly equipped with the authority, protection, and the power of God, if we are willing to courageously speak God's truth to those in positions of power, and if we obey the same godly directives and instructions that God's people are called to obey. May that be the case in my life, and as God leads you, in yours as well, so that we can all worship God together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, Moses' example in a time, in a a difficult time. And Lord, we are living in difficult times. We don't know what the future holds, but you do. You see things before they happen. And you're at work preparing people. You're at work preparing your church for what the church may be called to do in the future. Help us, Lord, as your people to be faithful to you, to be obedient to you, that you would equip us for what you have called us to do and to be in difficult times and in difficult days so that you can be glorified and worshiped as the one true God who alone is worthy of all worship and praise. Lord, we ask that you would do this work in us because we cannot do it ourselves. Empower us by your spirit Make us holy and faithful for the honor and glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us continue our worship this morning by singing hymn number 602, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Would you please stand if you are able? Will you decide to follow Jesus? Will you decide to keep following Jesus? Moses was following the God of Israel, following his will, even in difficult days. And may we be demonstrating that same commitment to follow Jesus Christ in difficult days. Wherever he may lead us, may we be faithful and follow him. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And all God's people said, amen.